Well, we are going to continue to worship the Lord together through the reading of His Word and proclaim His faithfulness together. So if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to join me in the book of Ecclesiastes at chapter 3. And this morning we'll pick up and read verse 9. We'll end up studying a little bit more than we'll read in this current moment. Uh, we'll, we'll study all the way through verse, uh, chapter 3 rather. So Ecclesiastes 3 verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Let's pray together. Father, you and you alone make things beautiful. When we try to do things, it's not ever beautiful, and it doesn't really endure. But you're not like us. That's why we need you. I pray that you would speak to us from your word. Use Ecclesiastes 3 to point us to Jesus. And when we behold Jesus, help us to see in him the hope that endures. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, of course, you may be seated. We're, we're studying through here the book of Ecclesiastes. And just by way of reminder, uh, Ecclesiastes is written in the real world. Amen? I mean, when you open up the Bible, it's not detached from real life. I mean, the author of Ecclesiastes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing about things that you know. Life's hard, isn't it? Life can be dark. Life can be challenging. You go through things in life where you say, man, where did this adversity come from, and when is it going to be over? Anybody there? You don't have to raise your hand. You might want to, just so other people can acknowledge. Man, life, life's difficult right now. One of, the, one of the great blessings that I have in my life is to be married to my wife, uh, Julie, 21 years. We've been married. Uh, I, I loved her from the moment I saw her, and I love her now more than I ever have. Uh, and we are in sync about just about everything. I mean, we see eye to eye on a lot of things, but there, there is one particular question that kind of comes into our lives that we just don't quite agree on. And here's the question. When should you fill up the gas tank? So I want to put a picture on the screen. Here's how I answer the question when we get to this moment. That's me. Honestly, honestly, it's really at about a half a tank. About a half a tank. And, and the, reason, the reason I think that way is because you just never know what's going to happen in life. You, you never know what tomorrow holds. So I want to be kind of prepared ahead of time. This isn't the way Julie sees it. Julie sees it this way. Yeah, that's, that's when it's time. There, there's something that's come along, and some of your cars have it, where it tells you the miles left that you've got. Miles to empty, 17, 12. Some of you, who's on Team Julie? I mean, you're just going to go when you've got 
to go. But, but there have been a couple of times where we had to go somewhere fast, and I had to use Julie's car to do it. We got to be somewhere, and I crank it up, boom. We can't, we got to go to the gas station first. You don't have to wait to fill up when you got to fill up. And, and Ecclesiastes is telling us that most of us seek to fill up life in the wrong places. Ecclesiastes is a book written by a man who tried in all sorts of ways to fill up his life. We've been using this series title, Life Is, and then there's a fill in the blank. So I would again ask you this morning, how would you fill in the blank? Some people say life is empty. Life's a struggle. But then we have this promise from God in the person of Jesus Christ who said, I've come that you might have life abundantly. So here's what I want you to grab hold of. There's nothing else that needs to happen in the world for you to have an abundant life. God doesn't have to do something other than what he's already done. Has Jesus come? Yes. Has Christ been crucified for your sins? Yes. Has he overcome sin, death, and the grave? Yes. There's nothing else that needs to happen for your life to be abundant. But we got to know how life gets to be abundant. So we've turned here to the book of Ecclesiastes, and one of the great helps Ecclesiastes gives is it will tell you how not to have an abundant life. I mean, you know Solomon. We started with a couple of observations that life's short. That's what Solomon says, right? Life is really short. Life is repetitive. How many of you did laundry yesterday? How many of you going to do laundry tomorrow? He's just saying, I'm doing the same things over and over and over. And then life without God is really unsatisfying. And Solomon had looked in all the usual places, money, sex, power, pleasure, progress, achievements, but the empty light kept showing up. God created humans to flourish. But sins enter the world, and it'll make life not a flourishing experience, but a slog, something to be endured, not to be enjoyed. So I was thinking that life is kind of like trying to use a car that is empty, in all the ways that you would use a car that's full. Like, like, can you imagine if you had to push your car to church today? And you went out there and everybody's just kind of Fred Flintstoning it. You know what I mean? Like you're pushing it. You're trying to use the car for what it would do if it were full. But now the AC's off. Man, some of you, I know this week, you know about AC not being on in the vehicle. And you get there and, and so... So life is to be filled up with God when it's not what is designed to be abundant starts to be really, really empty. It's God's grace that fuels a life that flourishes. So we're going to use here Ecclesiastes 3 and then, of course, how it points to Jesus to, to talk about this. So, so let's pick up where we left off last week with this first principle, this first point. Everything in life changes and we are not in control of when or how it changes. That was kind of last week's message, right? And we get that from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We won't reread all these verses, but look at how it begins. In chapter 3, verse 1, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to pluck up what's planted. Time to kill, time to heal, time to break down, time to build up. So life changes. Here's kind of where the, the reality for us is, though is everything in life changes, 
And we don't like change. And we especially don't like changes that we're not in control of. There's things going on in your life. Nobody gave you a sign-up sheet. God didn't say, hey, you mind if we do this in life? And, and, and part of what's frustrating in life is we're not in control. Some of us have experienced significant disappointment, not because we didn't get what we want, but we got it and it proved kind of unsatisfying. You know what I mean? We can't make it winter in summer. We're not in control of what season of life we're in. But, but here's what we learned last week, so I just want to repeat it. We learned this from the Apostle Paul in prison in Philippi when he wrote that I don't want you to misunderstand what has happened to me, the hard thing that has happened to me, my unjust imprisonment is really being used of God to advance the gospel. So here's where we landed last week. just want to say it again. No matter what season of life you're in, the gospel is to advance in you and through you. So that frees us up from kind of getting paralyzed by wishing a season of life that's come and gone would come back. Or to say, I'll just kind of mark time in this current season, waiting for another season to come, right? Because no matter the season, Paul, Paul when he's in prison in Philippi, or whether he's staying at the home of wealthy Lydia in Philippi, locked in stocks in the cell, or whether he's joined in gospel work by Silas and Timothy in Corinth, or if he's alone in Athens, his heart was always, how can the gospel advance? And one of the ways that the gospel advances is you trust the unchanging God when everything around you is changing. I was uh, taking a walk yesterday, and it was hot. I mean, I tried to go early. There's no non-hot hour of the day anymore. And there was this song that kind of came on uh, you know how Spotify can just sort of shuffle? I, wasn't, I was just listening, whatever came on. It's an old song. Most of you have heard it. Sitting by the dock of the bay, Otis Redding, right? And I'd never quite heard, you know, you know how you can hear the lyrics of the song and know the lyrics of the song, but you don't actually ever realize here's what the song's actually saying? Well, here's, here's what it says. I'm, I'm going to read it. That's always weird when you read song lyrics. You can start singing it if you want to. I, I'm not going to do that. That, that there is never a season of life for me to stand up here and sing. But sitting in the morning sun, I'll be sitting when the evening comes. Watching the ships roll in, then I'll watch them roll away again. You can hear Otis Redding, can't you? I'm sitting on the dock of the bay, watching the tide, of the, uh, watching the tide roll away. I'll skip a little, around a little bit. Left my home in Georgia, headed for the Frisco Bay, because I've had nothing to live for. It looks like nothing good's going to come my way. So I just sit the dock of the bay. Looks like nothing's going to change. Everything still remains the same. I can't do what 10 people tell me to do, so I guess I'll remain the same. And he ends the song, now I'm just going to sit at the dock of the bay watching the tide roll away. Roll away. This lyric says, ooh, yeah. <laughs> Sitting on the dock of the bay. You know how it ends? Wasting time. Hey, Solomon could have written that song, couldn't he? That's what he's saying. My, my life is a vapor. So, so we want to mark down first that everything in life changes. And we're not in control or when, of when or how it changes. Second is as life changes, 
We feel as if we're last, uh, left with no lasting success or lasting satisfaction. That's the question he asks in verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be happy with. There's something that, as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, that Solomon kind of references over and over and over again. When we were at Passion Camp, one of the afternoons we were on the beach and, and uh, we were playing games and everybody was doing a little something, tossing the football, tossing the frisbee, uh, playing a little volleyball, and then another group was playing soccer. And they're just kind of kicking the ball around and everybody's having a good time and I was just kind of standing there and I don't know if it was my spidey senses or what, but I turned around and as soon as I turned around, there was a soccer ball zooming at about 100 miles an hour right at my face. Meaning, and I, and I quickly did the uh, math. I'm not as athletic as I used to be, but I, at least I got my hands up, you know, and it hit my hands. And I immediately thought to myself, if I had not turned around, that ball would have hit me in the back of the head, and I would have just been splayed out. Everybody would have remembered that moment, and it would have been, you know, and, but, but me. You know, everybody would remember when that happened, except, man, the rate that it was coming was significant. And, and Solomon's kind of been hit by something, smacked by realizing I'm going to die. And everything that I've built, everything that I've worked for is either going to fade away or it's going to be handed over to someone who didn't work for it, likely won't appreciate it, and will squander it. And by the way, he was right about that. You can go read about his son, Rehoboam, who became the king when he died. Verse 11, he's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. And that's where the tension is. I'm running out of time, but I don't feel like I should. The clock is running, and I can't stop it. Because God has put something other than time in my heart. God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, with our baby girl, we're, we're doing something that a lot of parents do these days. Uh, we take pictures on the day of the month to mark her living another month. So March 16th was her birthday. We got the one month at April 16th, two months at May, three, and then just this past week, we had July 16th. Um, we were a little late on it, by the way, but you don't have to tell her. It was like July 19th, but that's, that's okay. And man, even, even when I'm late on it, it feels like it just happened. Boom, we were just taking this picture. The time passes so quickly. There's nothing we can do about it. And, and there's two words used in these verses that we've just read that I feel like are kind of at odds with each other. And I think you're going to say, yeah, I kind of get that too. I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Those are the two words, busy, beautiful. Which of those would you use to fill in the blank for your life? Life is busy. Life is beautiful. Man, you're probably like me. When I ask people, how's it going? How's life? Do you know one of the most common words I hear? Busy. Life's busy. I can remember uh, VBS week, Sunday. I was talking to some people here at the church. And I said... Because VBS, I can't remember the exact dates, but it was at the beginning of the summer. I said, I feel like VBS week is a, it's like standing on the precipice of skiing a slope. And as soon as this starts, we're going to just fly through the summer. And 
seven, eight weeks have gone by, and it has been so fast, and it's been really busy. But what you got to guard against is the busyness doesn't crowd out the, the beauty. Maybe you could rehearse that. If it's true of your life, you know, in Christ, somebody says, how are you doing? Man, my life's beautiful. My life's beautiful. God's working so that my life will be beautiful, right? He's made everything beautiful in its time. We're going to come back to this. But what I want you to know is that promise is true because of Jesus. Jesus is going to make everything beautiful in its time. You know, here's our hope. The time we have in this life is not all the time that there is. The time we have in this life is not all the time that there is. So he, he describes a beautiful life for us, by the way, when he says, I perceive, verse 12, that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Would you fill in the blank and say, life is joyful? Do you believe Jesus is joyful? Everything Jesus is, he offers, he offers to you. Third, it's good, it's good to, in humility, confess some limitations. So here's third point. We have a very limited ability to see the full scope of what God is doing. You know, I find in church life, the things that we say most frequently are the things that are actually hardest to believe and trust. And one of the most frequent things we say is, we can't see the big picture. Well, that's exactly what Solomon has said here. I, I perceive, verse 14, that whatever God does endures forever. That's good news. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear him. That which is already has been, that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. And when we study the Bible, one of the best questions to ask is, what does this passage teach me about God? There's two, more than two, but at least two beautiful things here. Number one, God builds things that last. Amen? That's, that's the word right here. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. And Solomon is saying that that's true in contrast to what Solomon has done. I've heard of Solomon's temple. Man, beautiful. Generation worked to bring it about. But it didn't endure. But what God builds does endure We've said several times, you know, your life's kind of like building a sandcastle. You can have the biggest sandcastle that there is, but the ocean is undefeated. God makes the ocean. So third, we, we have a limited ability to see the full scope of what God is doing. I've heard it said before, God's accomplishing probably 10,000 things in your life, and you might be aware of three of them. When you have one child, you can stay on top of things. You know what I mean? Two children... You're still kind of getting there. Three children, done. Done. Five children, start enlisting the older children to help you. You're on our team now. You're going to help us here. So Julie has taken our children to 98% of their appointments, not doctor's appointments. But when Priscilla, my Priscilla was a little bitty, our schedule on that day ended up that I took her. She was already a little bit nervous about that. You know, mama's presence has a comfort that daddy's doesn't. 
So on the way out the door, I just kind of asked Julie, is, is this a shot day or a not shot day? I just didn't want to know ahead of time. And she said, it's the, it's the, I can't, honestly, I can't remember if it's the three-year-old or the four-year-old checkup. She says, this is a non-shot day. I don't think she'll get any. So we check in, and the nurse comes in, the first words out of her mouth, we're getting three shots today. Man, poor Priscilla. When that news broke, her face, you know how a child doesn't want to cry, but they're kind of in, the, in between that was going on with her. And uh, I went into consoling mode. Man, she got so upset. Nervous, scared. So we pray, and I'm consoling her. Nurse came back and said, we're not quite there yet. Just give, give me another one. We're working on it. I go from console to exhortation. We got to get this, you know. And Finally, we kind of got there. But I'll never forget Priscilla laying on, uh, laying down there and the doctor coming and her looking at me. Confused, hurt, a little angry. <laughs> not understanding why I was just standing there and from her perspective, not helping her. Just about every parent, you're making decisions for your children because you see a bigger picture than they do. You're working towards goals that they can't really understand, what to eat, what to wear, when to go to bed. And they're free. They're free from all the stress and worry of trying to coordinate events, tie up loose ends, balance decisions about time and, and place. I mean, every parent knows, you need to come on, we need to go, we need to go. And they're just playing, I don't want them... And, and the space between a parent's perspective and their child's understanding is so minuscule compared to the space between God's perspective and understanding and ours. And I want you to find some comfort in what Solomon is saying here. And we can't see what he sees. We don't know what he knows. And oftentimes we're not wanting to do what he wants to do. David Gibson has written a book on Ecclesiastes called Living Backwards. Uh, meaning if you know you're going to die, you need to take inventory of that, and that's what Ecclesiastes is about. But listen to what he says. P part of being wise in this world is learning to accept that we have only very limited access to the big picture. To be sure, we often want access to it, for God has put eternity into man's heart. But the point is that we cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. God is not being unkind to us by not sharing it. The point is that we are not built to understand the big picture, precisely because we live in time and God does not. If we could see the end from the beginning and understand how a billion lives and thousands of generations and unspeakable sorrows and untold joys are all woven into a tapestry of perfect beauty, then we would be God. And friends, that is what we wanted at the beginning. But we'll never have it. But we can trust God to be God. Been tracking along with the James Webb photos? Telescope? He's bigger than we thought he was, isn't he? He's bigger. He's bigger than you think he is. And you trust him. Then fourth, God will bring absolutely everything to account. I haven't read these verses. Let's read verse 16. Moreover, I saw under heaven that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. 
I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man? What happens to the beasts in the same? As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and the man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So, so Solomon kind of looks around, takes inventory, and he's, he's saying, there's enough injustice, unrighteousness, and violence in the world for you to just about conclude there's not much difference between humans and animals. That's what Solomon's saying. He looks around and he says, man, it's, it's, it's unrighteous. The, the people that should be uh, for justice or for injustice, the people who should be for righteousness or for wickedness, any human being that holds power doesn't do it to bless, but rather to preserve his own power. It's another way God's not like us, praise his holy name. But what Solomon is pointing to is that God will bring everything into account. I know it doesn't feel that way sometimes. It's it's a little bit like saying today, walk outside and saying, it'll never snow in Rocky Mountain again. I mean, it is like walking out there. You you can't even hardly imagine it. I can't get to my car without having to change shirt because I've sweated through it. It'll never snow in Rocky Mountain. That's like saying, look at all the injustice, there will never be justice. But it's not so. There is a day coming. God will bring everything to account. And before you say that's a big problem for everybody else, we need to see that's actually a big problem for us. I mean, if God's going to wipe out sin, how's he going to do that and not wipe out me? Because I am sinful. Just real quick, I want to take the four principles that we gave and turn them into exhortations for you. The first one will be this. Life will be empty if you try to control all the changes. I just want some of you freed up from living a life of anger and complaint. In Sunday school this morning, we studied Philippians. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Hold fast to the word of life. Rejoice, right? So so life's going to be really empty if you try to control the changes. God did not send his son into the world so that you could go through life complaining when things change. Praise God, things do change. Because I needed him to bring some change to my life. So life's going to be empty if you try to control the changes. What is a change that you are hoping God will bring to your life? Are you pursuing a change right now? Some character issues, some sinful strongholds to overcome? Are you making progress and joy in your faith? So life will be empty if you try to control the changes. Next, life will be frustrating if you seek lasting success or satisfaction apart from knowing God. We're coming back from Passion Camp, got to Florence, South Carolina, pulled off, and went to Bucky's. Anybody been to Bucky's? Bucky's. I think Bucky's in Florence is the closest one to us. I've been hearing things about Bucky's. Bucky's isn't new to the country, but it's kind of new to us. And I don't quite know how to describe Bucky's. There's 120 fill-up stations of gasoline at Bucky's. You can fill up, you can go to Bucky's. I think you should. We, we walked in, and man, it was chaos. 
I'd never seen that many people gathered in one place in one time, in a long time. And then I saw a big sign, that, you know what it said, brisket. I said to myself, hmm, that sounds good. I walked over, saw another sign, homemade chips, and we're two for two. And then apple cinnamon tarts. I said, man, I have arrived. Bucky's is awesome. And I've never done this in my life. I, I don't even know what over, uh, came over me. I go to the, uh, <laughs> I got my brisket, got my homemade chips, I got my apple tart. I go to the soda machine, and there are more options than I could count. And I've never really had cream soda in my life. But for some reason, standing in Bucky's with my brisket, my homemade chips, and my apple tart, cream soda sounded awesome. And I said, I'm going to get these things. We got about, what, two, two and a half hours still to get home, and I'll just kind of nibble as we go. Y'all, I get outside, sit down on the sidewalk, and within seven minutes, I've eaten all of it. All of it. And I took that last sip of cream soda. Some of you know what I mean when I say this. And I said, "Uh uh-oh. Uh-oh. Life is like Bucky's. You didn't really ask to show up there. You grab what everyone else is grabbing, and it tastes good for about six minutes. And then you're left with the lingering effects of your unwise choices. Life's going to be really frustrating. Some of you are right here. I'm asking God to give you grace to see, oh, here's a little principle thrown out on church. But, But some of you are right here, right now. Like you are counting on something to bring life that is not going to bring life. It is not. And you're even telling yourself, I know it won't, but I still want it, right? It's not going to lead you where you think. All that life can teach you by experience is what God is willing to tell you on the front end. So a couple other things quick is life will be full of anxiety if you do not trust the wisdom of God. Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things. Only one thing is necessary. Martha chose what's busy. Mary chose what's beautiful. Learn from them. And then last, and then I want to give you a picture of Jesus before we close. Last principle is this. Life will be depressing if you do not trust God to bring everything into account. Life will be depressing if in the midst of the heat of summer you say it's never going to snow again. Y'all like the Chronicles of Narnia, books that C.S. Lewis wrote? Aslan says something, and I should know which book. I think it's from The Last Battle. So Aslan sort of represents God in the story, the lion, you know. And towards the end of The Last Battle, he he says something to Lucy and Peter and the children in the story. He says, uh, you are not yet as happy as I mean for you to be. You're not yet as happy as I mean for you to be. And of course, Aslan, from C.S. Lewis' perspective, is representing the Lord. I think that's a true statement. You're not yet as happy as you will be. God's going to make it all beautiful in his time. Give you a glimpse of that. Of course, it's going to come from the life of Jesus. A very wise person once told me, you need to saturate your life with the gospel of John. If you've been a couple of days and you hadn't sat down with the gospel, of course, all script, all script, you know what I mean. But man, uh, if you just take time 
when you are going to fill in the blank, life is with something other than what God would sign his name to, pick up the Gospel of John and just read. Read a paragraph, pray it through, think about it. So, so this, this glimpse, and most of you are going to know that this, this event, it comes from John chapter 2. It's right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And Jesus has been invited to a wedding. Here's the awesome thing. He goes. That means somebody's like, who are we going to invite to the wedding? We're going to invite uh, uh, Peter, and we're going to invite, hey, let's invite Jesus. And so they, they, they invite Jesus, and the awesome thing is, is, is he goes. But a really kind of embarrassing problem happened at this wedding that's taking place in Cana. You remember? They ran out of wine. Kind of embarrassing. So Mary says uh, to the servants there, kind of looks over at Jesus and says, do whatever he tells you to do. Can I just echo that, by the way? Just do what he tells you to do. You're never going to go wrong doing what Jesus tells you to do. Don't go through life trying to tell him what to do. He's not going to do that. That's not who God is. Some, some people have a miscalculation of Christianity, that Christianity is really us telling him what to do and then he'll do it. No, listen to what he tells you to do and then, and then do it. So they took six stone water jars. You remember this? And they fill them all up. The Bible says they could hold between 20 and 30 gallons. So the, and, and then I love the part where it says they filled it up to the brim. And you know what Jesus does, right? He turns that water into wine. And somebody comes up and says, everybody else serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. Friends, that's how the world works. Offers you on the front end, but diminishing returns. This is the beginning of his ministry. So what's he doing? He's sending a message. But you have kept the good wine until now. Now listen to what the Bible says. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, happened in the real world. Amen? Now listen to this phrase. And manifested his glory. Manifested his glory. So what's happening here? And you need this for your life. What's happening here? Jesus is sending a message. What is it? Well, in, in that culture, in that time and place, wine, two primary purposes, two primary uses. You know what the first one was? Medicine. Medicine. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Came upon him. He'd been beaten by robbers, left half dead. The Samaritan poured on oil and, help me out, church, wine. Why? I'm going to clean those wounds up. Medicine cleans you up. Used to repair, used to make you well. And the second, which is, of course, what's happening here at the wedding, about celebration. Bring the wine out when it's time to celebrate weddings and, and feasts. So please listen to me. What's the message? Jesus offers healing and restoration that does not run and he's the only one who does. He's the only one who does. He's the only one who does. So you'll try to bind up your wounds with some things. They won't clean the wound. They'll actually make it worse. Everywhere else you go to look for help and healing is going to run dry. It's just a matter of time. And second, 
the celebration over what Jesus has done, taking us from death to life, will never end. Amen? It will never end. Have you ever cleaned up after a party was over? Maybe it was a wedding. Maybe it was something here at the church and everybody got together. Uh, I've seen those. I've seen these. Usually, usually the same awesome collection of folks in that kitchen scrubbing something, washing something, taking the trash out. Party's over. Celebration's coming, friends, that doesn't end. In conclusion, what's, what's the wine pointing to? Jesus sat down at a table and explained it to us, didn't he? See that cup? My blood shed for you. What is it? Medicine and celebration. Amen. Medicine and celebration. The shed blood of Jesus brings healing. Anybody experience this? Shed blood of Jesus has brought healing to my life. Forgiveness, redemption, restoration. The result is celebration. So just in conclusion, what are you filling your life up with? Is it that which will inevitably run dry or that which will always be full? You know, we got these cars. They'll tell you how many miles you got left. 17 more miles, 8 more miles. And when you have humbled yourself before Jesus, how many miles you got left? Forever. You're going to be able to go and go and go and go and go into eternity to be with him forever. The shed blood of Jesus, by the way, answers all those questions that Solomon raises in Ecclesiastes, the whole book, and then in, in chapter 3. So, so here's two things to take with you before you go. Number one, if you're going to be busy in your life, be busy with the work that endures. God's work is going to endure. So go to the nations. Go to work tomorrow and not say, oh, here's my job. I'm going to toil and it's now going to matter. Well, you got some human beings in your workplace and friends, they matter. They matter. So, so my, my, my work, my life isn't aimless. I've been redeemed in order to be his ambassador in the world. And then second, friends, justice is coming. Justice is coming. You've been wronged. Justice is coming. Have you wronged? Justice is coming. Here's the amazing grace of God. He's offered his son to take the penalty that we deserve upon himself. Mm, amazing grace. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to pray together. I'll be here at the front. Man, you've got a burden on your heart, your mind. You want somebody to pray with? It'd be my joy to do that. You want to know a little bit more about Jesus? You, you've never turned to him in repentance and faith and said, I'm going to go with him. Man, my life is empty. He's got something that lasts. I want to know about him. I'm not in any rush today. We'll be here into service. I'll be here. I want to talk. I'd love to do that. Might have something you just want to bring to the, to the Lord in a manner of speaking by coming to the front and praying. You're welcome to do that. If you'll pray with me and, and if you'll give God room, some room in your life right now through his word, through his Holy Spirit to help you answer this question.
right now I'm looking to fill my life up with let him reveal that to you and then just a <laughs> it's a quote from John 2 again whatever he tells you to do you do that that's the way to life Father thank you for Jesus he is life Help us to be like Paul, where we would say, for me to live is Christ. It's my life. Now, uh, we need you to do something only you can do, and that's to take your word and bring it to bear on our lives for the glory of your name, for the good of your people. Help us not to resist the Holy Spirit, but, but rather say, and it's better, so much better, so much better. live a life unto the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.